And on your way to your seat, please grab a Bible, because we're going to start this afternoon by reading from God's Word. So please, if you haven't got a Bible, grab one from the back there, and Mariah's going to tell me the page number. Page 811. If you have one of those black Bibles, page 811. If not, then please turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And I've asked Mariah if she'll come and read the passage for us before I start. So, thanks Mariah, that'd be great. That's for you. So, page 811 in the Church Bible. Matthew chapter 6, starting from verse... Five. Great. Thanks, Mariah. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Great. Thanks, Mariah. All right. So, throughout January, as Peter mentioned, we're doing this uh, uh, series on our values, our church values. This is something we do every year, actually three times a year. Uh, so we have, if you don't know already, a whole list of church values. These were put in place at the start of the church, almost exactly five years ago, actually. Beginning for nearly exactly five years. So five years ago, the startup team put together these values. They wanted to kind of shape the church, to use these values to inform our decisions as we go forward in church life. Um, the values are split up into three categories. So the first set of values is all about loving God. Uh, the second set of values is all about loving each other. And the third set of values is all about loving our neighbor. And you can see those three up on the banner behind me if you forget at any point. So in January, we're looking at this first set, loving God. And there's three values in this first set of values. Uh, We want to be a church that loves God by reading the Bible and pursuing him in the Bible. We want to be a church that loves God by expressing uh, our heart's response to him in prayer and worship. A praying and worshiping church. And we want to be a church that reflects his character in every part of our lives. So they're the first three values that we're looking at through January. And uh, today, as Peter's mentioned, we're looking at prayer. Uh, the, the, kind of, the thread that's drawing this series together is uh, we want to be thinking about how to do these things as a church together. Right? We're, we're, we're not meant to be Christians on our own. We're meant to be Christians in a community. We're saved. We're called by God to be part of a family. And so we want to think this January, uh, as we go through the month, about how we do these things, how we pray, how we read the Bible, how we reflect his character as a church family, as a community, together, as God's called us to be. So we're not going to think about worship uh, this month. We'll leave that for another time. We're thinking about the subject of prayer. So I must admit, subject of prayer, as I've prepared this week, I've been a little bit apprehensive. Because I, honestly, I don't want to stand up here and talk to you about the subject of prayer as though I'm an expert. Because I don't feel like an expert at prayer. Prayer is hard. 
And I find prayer hard. And I wouldn't be surprised if more than one of you do too. Um, it's, not, it's something that doesn't come naturally to us. So much so, I don't, know, I don't have evidence for this, but I suspect most Christians simply don't pray on a regular basis. There was a Bible college in America that um, published a, a, sort of a report a few years ago. And they were sending a group of their students on a, on a summer mission to a foreign country. Fifty students were going on this trip. And they decided to interview them before they went to check they were kind of suitable for the trip. Um, and there was a fairly thorough interview. And of those 50 students, these are people that are preparing for kind of full-time Christian ministry. Um, only three of them um, said they had a, any kind of regular devotional time of God, time with God every day, reading the Bible and praying. Three out of 50, that's 6%. Sometimes I think we're not even sure why we find it hard to pray. It just feels like there's a kind of a block. We, when, when we sit down and we think about sitting down to pray, there's a kind of resistance within us. It just feels like, you know, we can make time for everything else. We can make time for uh, going to work. We can make time for watching TV, reading a book. We can make time for going to see friends. Uh, but we can even make time for reading the Bible. But somehow praying, praying feels difficult. It feels like a sort of a mountaintop that's, that's impossible to climb. Maybe it's we sit down and we're, we're speaking the words and it just feels like they're kind of hitting the ceiling. And you're thinking, what, what difference does it make? What am I, what am I doing here? What, what, why am I doing this? Or maybe you sit down and you, you kind of feel, well, do I have any right to pray after what I've done, after my past, after what I did yesterday? Will God even want to hear from me? All kinds of barriers when we try and sit down to pray. Maybe that's you. And um, it's, it's me. I've had to actually, as I started preparing for this message, get on my knees and say sorry to God for my prayerlessness and for what that indicates about me. Prayer isn't easy. But I'm convinced, okay, there's a big reason that we don't pray more and we don't pray more easily. And I think it's because we get prayer wrong. We misunderstand what prayer actually is, okay? We think that prayer is a thing we do. We think of it as a kind of religious activity that we perform, all right? And because we think of it as a thing that we have to do as a Christian, that makes it into something we've got to try and be good at and get better at. We think, oh, there's all kinds of other religions. They all have prayer in their kind of calendar, don't they? All the followers of these other religions, they pray. It's kind of the same for Christians. We pray. It's what it means to be a good Christian. So we think, okay, I've got to do this prayer thing. I need to be good at it because that's what I'm meant to be. I need to get better at it. So we think, okay, I'm going to read some books and uh, listen to some talks. And um, these books and talks are helpful and they've got lots of useful tips and techniques for how to improve your prayer life, how to pray better. Maybe you've come across prayer journaling Maybe you've downloaded an app on your phone to pray, to help you pray. Maybe you've got a kind of special techniques like acrostics that you pray through to help you think about what to pray. Maybe you've tried praying out loud. These books tell you to try praying kneeling, praying groups of people, pray through the Bible. There's all kinds of helpful like, tips and techniques for how to pray. And they're all based on this idea, or we approach them with the idea in our head, that prayer is a thing. It's an activity that we do. So this kind of way of thinking about prayer, we actually saw it in the passage that was read earlier on by Moriah. Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, and he said to them, look, there's two groups of people, they're religious groups of people, and they pray, and they pray in a way that's not Christian. There's all kinds of prayer in the world that's not Christian prayer. Jesus highlights two of them. If you notice, there was the hypocrites. Okay, they like to pray standing on street corners, being seen by men. And there was the, the, the Gentiles. They liked to pray kind of superstitiously, heaping up empty phrases. 
these two ways of praying. Jesus points them out to his disciples and says, that's not the way to pray. That's a kind of religious way to pray. That's a way to pray thinking of it as an activity to perform. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something different. So what if we have got prayer wrong? What if we, when we think about how to pray, we're just in completely the wrong kind of ballpark? I think we are. And I think there's a kind of paradox going on. The more that we focus on prayer as an activity, and the more that we think about how to get better at praying, the harder it gets. Because prayer is not that. But I think a true understanding of what prayer really is transforms it for us. And that's where the wording of the value that we're looking at today is actually super helpful. Um, the value, for those who haven't me- memorized it already, I'll tell you what it is. The value is we want to be a church that expresses the response of our hearts in prayer and worship. Expressing the response of our hearts. And that gives a clue to what prayer really is. It's not a religious activity we perform. It's a response of our hearts. And those two things couldn't be more different. There's all the difference in the world. Prayer is not an activity. It's a response. So the idea of those, those two things, an activity, right, is something that we do where we're the subject of the sentence. Okay? You know the idea of a subject? The, the, the man stroked the dog. Okay, the, the subject is the man. He's the one that does the doing in the sentence. So when in activities, we're the subject. Right? In a response, we're the object. We're acted on. Okay? The, the dog is the one that is stroked. He might choose to bite the man. He might choose to accept the man's stroke. He might choose to run away. But he's the object. Okay? He responds to the man's initiative. And in prayer, we're not the one that acts. We're not the object. We're the Subject. I'll give you a couple of examples to try and explain. Okay, so going to the cinema, right? That's an activity that we do. And you can get very good at going to the cinema. You can uh, plan out what date you're going to go. You can uh, choose the film you're going to see. You can choose who you're going to go with. You can choose where you're going to go. You can choose how often. You can get very good at going to the cinema. But when you see a trailer for a film that you really want to see, and you think, wow, that looks like a great film, and the trailer captures your heart, Suddenly, you don't worry about techniques. You just find a way to get to see that film, whoever it's with and wherever it is, right? At that point, you're responding. You're responding to what you've seen. Or take another one, uh, buying clothes, right? Buying clothes is an activity, and you can get very good at it. You can be very bad at it, as I've experienced. You can, you can get to learn where the shops are that sell your size of clothes. You can get to know what, what shops you like and where the reasonable price clothes are. You can even learn what sizes are in different shops because they're not the same. I've discovered this since being married. A size 10 is a size 12 in one shop and an 8 in another. And why are there even numbers anyway? Why? <laughs> I don't get this. Um, so you, you can get good at the activity of going to shops and buying clothes, but you walk down the street and you see someone wearing something and you think, I like that. I'd like to wear that. I'd like to be seen in that. And suddenly you're responding. Your heart's been captured. Okay. All the difference in the world between an activity and a response. And when we think about prayer as an activity and we're focusing on how to do it, how to get good at it, techniques, it leads to prayer being a burden. It leads to prayer being dry and lifeless and no wonder we don't pray more. But when prayer is a response and we've seen something and we're captured by something, that's what prayer is. That's when we start praying. So what we're going to do this afternoon for the rest of the message is we're going to think about what we're responding to when we pray. We're responding to God. We're responding to who God is and what he's done. So we're going to think about that this afternoon. What I want to do is to try and show you how 
God and who he is and what he's done transforms our prayer and the way we pray. All right? And we're going to do that by looking at the passage that was read earlier. Um, One of the most famous passages on prayer, actually. Um, You may well have grown up going to school reciting this passage every day. It's the Lord's Prayer. Um, And I'm going to do something a little bit unusual. Um, I'm not going to preach the whole passage. I'm not even going to preach one verse. I'm going to preach just half a verse uh, this afternoon. In fact, I'm just preaching four words. Because those four words are some of the most... uh, incredible, mind-boggling, transforming words in all the Bible, I think. And there's, there's so much there. Those four words are this. Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus was teaching his disciples and said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven. The first thing Jesus said to his disciples to do, when you sit down and pray, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven. So there's three things that we learn about God, who he is and what he's done, from those four words. And we'll take them in reverse order. So first of all, God is in heaven. Secondly, God is a father. Thirdly, God is our father. All right? So first of all, God's in heaven. This is the first thing to remember when we sit down to pray. God's in heaven, and we so easily forget this. It's silly, isn't it, that we forget this, but we do. We forget the scale of exactly what it is we're dealing with and who it is we're dealing with. Prayer can so easily become a routine thing. Um, Like the prayer that most of us probably pray most often, giving thanks for the food, saying grace, right? I do this. I sit down and I thank you, Lord, for the food and thank you for this time together. Amen. And it goes and you've said the words and you think, hold on, who am I talking to here? Who am I actually speaking to in those words? Who am I actually communicating with? And when you think about who it is that you're talking to, it's actually incredible. To help me think about this, I, I love thinking about space, all right, I've, I've, I, was, I love recently uh, hearing all about this, this NASA uh, probe. Anyone read about this that's gone past outside the, uh, Pluto? And it's, it's, it's set a new record for the most distant object ever explored in our solar system. And anyone know the bizarre name they come up with it, uh, with it for it? Phil? The, the one that they've just taken a photo of. It starts with Ultima, and the second word is one I've never heard of. Oh, right, okay. It's called Ultima Thule, apparently. Yeah, the furthest object ever explored in space. called Ultima Thule. It's beyond Pluto. Pluto is four billion kilometers away. Is that right? Or five? This is six and a half billion kilometers. It's the furthest object ever explored. And just the numbers involved are are mind-boggling. The data that was sent as they took the photo of this object took six hours to get back. Every pixel, every pixel took six hours to get back to Earth. It's amazing. One little kind of comment they made at the end of the article I read uh, just sort of captured my imagination. It said um, that the New Horizons probe that they've sent out uh, is never going to catch up with the last one they sent called Voyager 1 because Voyager 1's travelling more quickly because it got a speed up from the gravitational pull of planets that went past. Voyager 1 is going at 17 kilometres a second. New Horizon only 14 kilometres a second. I just thought, whoa! The, the, the kind of distances we're talking about there, that's about the distance from the Chippenham to Bath Junction on the M4, 14, 17 kilometers. Think how long it takes you to drive that at 70 miles an hour in the car, 10, 15 minutes, and they're doing that in a second, every second. And it took about three years for that probe to get from Pluto to the, where it is now. Three years at 14 kilometers a second. And you think, that's just our solar system. The numbers involved are just mind-boggling, the amount of space there is in space. 
And our solar system is orbiting our star, and our star is one star in the middle of the Milky Way. And they don't even know how many stars there are in the Milky Way. They estimate between 100 and 400 billion stars in the Milky Way. Now, a billion is a big number. Okay, a thousand is a big number. A thousand things is a lot of things. A million is a thousand thousands. Okay? And a billion is a thousand millions. And there's between 10 and 40 billion stars in our Milky Way, they think. No, 100 and 400 billion, sorry. And our Milky Way, get this, is one galaxy in the universe, and they think they've, they've discovered billions of galaxies, each with about, I don't know, hundreds of millions of stars in. And they haven't even finished discovering all the galaxies there are in the universe. The furthest galaxy is 12 billion light years away. A light year is a measure of distance they came up with to, to try and capture these vast amounts of space there is in space. A light year is the a, a length, the, the distance that light travels in a year. It's about just under 6 trillion miles is one light year. 6 trillion miles. Our galaxy is about 100,000 light years across. And the furthest galaxy is 12 billion light years from our own that we found. The numbers are mind-boggling. And I like thinking about that because I like thinking about my God who created that. I like thinking that God in heaven that I speak to when I give thanks for my food is the God that flung the stars into space. And it's described in Genesis in three words. He made the stars also. That's almost as mind-boggling. The God that we speak to is the God that flung the stars into space. He sits over the universe. He oversees it and he controls everything in it. He knows each one of those stars by name, however many there are, too many to count. Our God is in heaven. Our God is in heaven, and we mustn't forget that when we come to pray. But not only is he in heaven, but he is a father. Okay, when we think about God as creator, we tend to think of him being unimaginably distant and unimaginably unknowable. Because he, we can't get our heads around these kind of numbers, can we? We can't understand it. We can't comprehend it. So we think we can't understand and comprehend God either. And we think of him very distant, and we tend to think of him as this as a very incredibly powerful being. But the creator God isn't unknowably distant because he's made himself known. And he's made himself known to us as a father and a son and a Holy Spirit. And God has always been a Father and Son and Holy Spirit. He always has been and he always will be. The God that created the universe is a relationship. It's a relationship. And that's not a metaphor, okay? Jesus doesn't say God's like a father. He doesn't say the way God relates to his universe, even though he's incredibly distant and we can't understand him, it's kind of like a father relates to his son. He doesn't say that. He says, Jesus Jesus says, God is a father. He's my father and I'm his son. And God has always been that way. So God's not distant. He's a God who has a heart. He's a God who loves. He's a God who has always loved. We tend to think, our instinct is to think, when we think God has created God without Christ. We must never, ever do that. If you ever think of God without Christ, stop, because that's the wrong God. You've got the wrong God. Don't ever think of God without Christ. Jesus says a bit later in Matthew's Gospel, um, no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You can't know God without Jesus. There's no such thing as a Christless God. That's a, that's a false God. And this is really good news. It's, it's really good news that God's a Father because he's a good Father. He's a Father who loves his Son perfectly. He's a Father who delights in his Son and has delighted in his Son from all eternity and will do for all eternity. 
He's a perfect father. He's a good father. Now, we do, we do struggle with this a little bit because we don't have perfect fathers. And many of you will have had a very imperfect father. Well, every one of you will have had an imperfect father. Many of you will have had a very difficult father and will have had hard experiences of fathers. So we won't feel this, but we do get glimpses of it. And we all want it. We all want to be delighted in. Every child wants to be treasured and delighted in. And occasionally, whether it's your own father or someone else's father or seeing another father interact with their child, whether it's a movie or a film or a book, we'll see a glimpse of this, a father delighting in his, in his child. I was watching a film just the other week, and it had just a, a five-minute scene of a dad interacting with his daughter. And it was one of those scenes where you've got a montage and there's music playing and it kind of gets your heart. And, but there was something about it. The, the dad was, like, he was interacting, he was loving his daughter, she was responding, he took her on a ride on horseback over the American desert plains and... And it was all like, it was, but it, it, it gets you. You think, I, I want that for my daughters, and I want that for me, and everybody does, because it's what we're made for, because that's what the, what's at the heart of the universe. A father delighting in his son forever. So God's in heaven, and God's a father. But the third thing we learn about God is really what sets Christian prayer apart from every other kind of prayer. Because God's not just in heaven, he's not just a father. For followers of Jesus, he's our father. And this is the bit that really should blow our socks off. Because Jesus says, if you're with me, if you're in my kingdom, if you're following me, then my father is your father. And the relationship I have with my father is the relationship you can have with my father. He, he brings us into the family. He literally, we're adopted into God. We're adopted into God in the person of his son. These words are father. They're small words, but they carry so much meaning. You ever find that small words can carry a lot of meaning? I've been reading this week quite a bit about adoption, um, both the theology of adoption, but also the, the practice of adoption of people who've adopted children. And the stories that you, you, I've, I've read of people that have adopted children are, are, are moving. And every time... Uh, a, a set of parents meets their adoptive child for the first time. Every time they hear the words mummy or daddy said by their child for the first time, it's an incredibly special moment. Incredibly special moment. And those words, mummy or daddy, they're just words, but they're, they're, they carry so much. They carry so much meaning behind them. There's always a story. There's a story on the parent side. Whatever it's been, whatever got, has got the parents to that point of adopting a child, whether it's infertility or, or trauma or or pain, fear, illness, whatever the the, the story is that's got them to that point. There's a story. And there's a story on the child side as well, whatever's got them to that point. Neglect from their parents, abuse, whatever it might be. Brokenness and mess. There's a story. And then those two, those three people are brought together. and and, And the child is joined to their family. And this incredible moment captured in those two small words. And the story behind those words in Matthew chapter 6, the story behind those words, our father, is incredible. A a story of of a God who created humans in his image with the ability to relate and to love and to respond so that they could love and respond to him. And then a story of humans that turned away from him and rejected him, rejected that love and wandered far from him into a mess, into death, into brokenness and lostness. And then a story of a God who wouldn't let that happen. And a God who came, a God who descended from heaven in the person of his son to find us and to seek us and to save us. A story of a God who wouldn't let that 
stay, he wouldn't stay distant from that mission. A God who actually gave his life in the person of Jesus, his son, gave his life in order to save broken and lost humanity, in order to bring us back to himself. A God who rose again from the dead so that joined with him, we can go back to his father. This incredible story, all captured in those words, our father, our father. And the amazing thing about adoption, as I've been reading about it, it's a really profound thing to do. It's a legal transaction. that The new parents are saying to their child, legally, I am now, I'm treating you, I am regarding you as my natural child, as though you were my, part of my own family. And that's a, legal, it's a new status. You're saying to that child, all the, all the privileges, all the protections, all the, the new kind of status that comes from being in my family, I give to you. It's an act of the parents of, of bringing that child into their family. And that's what's happened when we repent of our sin and when we trust in Jesus. We're brought into God's family. There's a fantastic um, quote that I read from a, a chap, one of the, a, a famous author from the last century called uh, Jim Packer just showing how central this is. This is really the heart of the gospel, the heart of the good news. He says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. So can you see? Can you see what a difference this makes to prayer? When we start with this, when we start with our Father in heaven, when we start with the story of who God is and what he's done to bring us into his family, when we start with that, can you see what a difference it makes to prayer? It's not an activity we have to do, we're responding. We set that in front of us and then we talk and we're praying. We have open access to the Father. We have Jesus' own relationship with his Father as our relationship with his father. What he's enjoyed doing from all creation is what we get to enjoy doing, speaking to him. When we focus on prayer and we focus on techniques, it's a burden. When we focus on God and set him in front of us, it's a joy. And I've, I've found that this week. I've been thinking about this and I've found, you know, even the, the, the humdrum daily prayers that you pray, giving thanks for the food, praying for your children, is it's no longer, when, you, when you're thinking about who you're, who you're talking to and what it is you're doing and how you're doing it, I mean, my family probably haven't noticed any different while I've been praying. It's the same words, but it's been carrying so much more meaning. I, th- so I thank God for the food, and I'm thinking, wow, God's in heaven, he, and he's a father, he's my father, and he's given me this food, and it, it changes everything. It changes everything. So how does this relate, you might be thinking, to our theme for the month? We're thinking about loving God together. Okay, prayer makes all the difference when it's a response and not an activity. But how do we pray together and what does it mean to pray together and why should we pray together? Well, it's interesting when you look at Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus says, um, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. He's not just saying there, our Father in the sense that he's, he's my Father and your Father and you're, you've got the same Father as me. I think what he's saying is, you've got the same Father as each other. So pray with each other. Pray our Father. I think he's assuming when he teaches his disciples to pray that they're going to pray together. Pray our Father in heaven. Don't pray my Father. Pray our Father. He assumes they're praying together. And you can see, can't you, when you think about it, why it makes total sense that as God's family, we would pray together. We've been brought into his family. We've, 
We've been brought into this new relationship. We, we've been brought into this new kind of community with, a, with a God, God the, the Father as our Father. So why wouldn't we talk together? Why wouldn't we have a family conversation together? It's the, the most natural thing in the world. It should be the most natural thing in the world. Because the thing is, we forget this stuff. We forget who we are. We forget who God is. We forget what God's done for us. And we, get, we forget who we are in Christ. As, as Christians, it, it, it leaks out of us. We forget it. And so we need each other to remind each other. We need each other to, to remind us of these truths, to remind us of this God that we need to, to set before us. That's certainly been my experience. I don't think I've ever um, prayed with another Christian, whether it's one-to-one or in a group, uh, in a formal prayer meeting or in, informally. I don't think I've ever prayed with another Christian and not been encouraged in, in some way. I don't think it's ever happened. Because that's what it's meant to do. Praying together is meant to encourage us and remind us of these things that we know are true, but uh, I forget there's something incredibly special, something incredibly faith-building about praying together, communal prayer. So Peter mentioned earlier on we've got the week of prayer coming up. We've got a week full of opportunities to pray together. This is what we're doing this week. Um, we've got opportunities each day. We've got the prayer pairs, as Peter mentioned. If you're not in one, please come and chat to me afterwards. I'd love to join you up with someone. Uh, I wonder when you heard Peter talking about it, when you read the emails, when you've heard us talking about this thing, how you've responded. Um, my guess is, at some level, there's been some kind of barrier. It's just a guess. Some kind of barrier to coming to one of these meetings or being involved in some way. The reason I think that is because prayer is a spiritual battle. When we meet with other Christians to pray, there's something spiritual, it's spiritually significant going on. And there's an enemy who, who hates us from being encouraged and wants us to stop uh, being encouraged at any point he can. Another great quote from a guy called um, C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book, C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian author from the last century called The Screwtape Letters. A fictional book um, imagining a senior devil giving, um, writing letters to a junior devil who's been assigned to tempt a Christian, all right, to try and draw him away from, from the church and from Jesus. And the, the, the book is, is uh, all these letters from him talking about how to, how to stop Christians from living out their, their faith. Fictional but fascinating. And this is what he says about prayer. This is the senior devil talking to the junior devil. The best thing where it's possible is to keep the patient from the, sin, from the serious intention of praying together to persuade him to do something entirely spontaneous, inward, informal, and unregularized. unregularized. Why? Because whenever there is prayer, there is danger of God's immediate action. So we've got an enemy. We've got an enemy who wants to stop us from being encouraged, wants to stop us from praying, wants to stop, stop, uh, stop these, these things from, from happening. And so I wouldn't be surprised at all. If even this afternoon, as we've talked about it, you've been thinking, ah, oh, I'd love to, but I probably can't, or I probably shouldn't. There's this reason and that reason I probably shouldn't come along and, or can't come along. So is there a reason? Why not stop and think about it for a moment? We've got this opportunity now, we're here. Stop and think. Is, is there a reason that's come up in your mind about why you shouldn't or couldn't come? Maybe it's just that it's unfamiliar to you. You haven't ever been to a prayer meeting before and it feels scary. Maybe, maybe it's a fear. You're, you're afraid you'll be put on the spot or made to pray out loud or do something you're not, you're not comfortable with. Or maybe you feel like you just don't fit in. You, you, you wouldn't fit in at a prayer meeting. You're either too young in age or you're too young in, in Christian maturity. You haven't been a Christian long enough or you don't know what to do. Or I, I know you're, you're from the wrong background. You haven't got the right experiences. You're not good enough at praying. Whatever it is, you, you might feel, I don't fit in here. That's just for the keen Christians. I'm just, you know, I'm just me. 
and if they knew what I'd done. Whatever the reason is, it's almost certainly not true. You don't have to be afraid of doing anything you're not comfortable with. Just come and, come and listen. Be encouraged by listening. We'll be encouraged by you being there. Christianity is not about fitting in. It's about a group of motley, hodgepodge people from different backgrounds, different ages, different experiences coming together. And that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of a church meeting like this and of a prayer meeting where people join together as part of the family of God. Different backgrounds, different experiences, different ages. You young people, don't feel this isn't for you. Prayer week is for you as well. Whoever you are, whoever you are, Christianity is not about fitting in. It's about being someone who's repented and believed in Jesus as you are, part of the family of God. And let's remember in all this, let's remember prayer is not a religious activity. It's not a box to tick. It's not something we do to say we've done it. It's not something, a thing that we have to get better at because that's what Christians do. And there's this pressure to do it. It's not a religious activity. It's a response of the heart. So start with your adoption. Start with these three things that we learn about God. Start with God being in heaven. God being a father. God being your father. Start there and let that grip your heart. Accept it and embrace those truths as true. Not just true out there, but true for you. And just respond by talking to him. Talk to your father. Talk to your your heavenly father and just learn to enjoy. And let's learn together to enjoy together uh, just enjoying the relationship that Jesus has enjoyed with his father from all eternity. Let's, let's pray together now. Father, we want to thank you so much for the privilege of being yours. For each person in this room who is yours, we pray that we would be uh, delighting in you this week because you have delighted in us. Rejoicing in you because you rejoice over us. Loving you because you have first loved us. And Father, may we find encouragement, each and every one of us, from meeting with each other to pray. In whatever format that takes this week and through the rest of the year, Father, would we be a praying church, praying on our own, but praying with each other, encouraging each other, standing together to seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.